This episode is brought to you by Lightstream, the nation's premier online consumer lender. Lightstream offers low-interest fixed-rate loans from $5,000 to $100,000 for practically any purpose. It's also brought to you by our newest Patreon member and one of today's guests, Jen Marlowe. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I couldn't do this without you. I'm so grateful to all of you for making this show a possibility. The Queer Family Podcast. Love is love is love on the Queer Family Podcast. Love is love is love on the Queer Family Podcast. Love is love is love on the Queer Family Podcast. Love is love. Hey, Teak. Hi. Oh, my God. My guest ho-host. My guest ho-host. <laughs> my guest ho-host. <laughs> my guest co-host, Teak, is here to help me introduce in the, building. the episode that's coming. Um, In yeah. the building, in person. Yeah. Holy shit. Look at us. We have been together many times, but it's been on the Zoom. On the Zoom, yeah. The very first time we met, we were in person. Mm-hmm. Your I- very first episode. Season three. Season three. Season three, episode four. And then you were also in season 10. Yep. And then you did the first intro for season 11. I sure did. And now you're back doing another one. And I can't I, get enough. I can't get enough of you. <clears throat> yeah. You're one of my favorite people, I'm not going to lie. Same. But Teek, for those okay. listeners who just tuned in for the first time, mm. can you give us an overview, like a quick overview of who, who are you, Teek? I'm Teek Milan. I'm a cancer. <laughs> uh, I'm trans. I'm a trans guy. I do a lot of work around healthy masculinity and working in the LGBTQ community. I've done a lot of work with with youth is where I got my start. Um, and I just like to think about gender and talk about gender and talk about how queer people, um, many of us are doing gender right. Uh-huh. And I wish more people would listen to us. Mm. And also just the complications and the nuances when it comes to being a gendered person in the world. It is. And living in our queer identities and me living in my queer body as a queer, transgender black man in the world who's very binary, you know, what that means for how I show up and how people react to me and you know, the intentional work I have to do to make sure that I'm a good person Mm. on a regular basis. That's something unique that you have, that you have been able to experience the world from a female point of view and then a male point of view. Yep, for sure. It's influenced how I am as a man. Being a man who had a girlhood, Mm. Mm. it's just, you know, it's different. I have a a different out view of the world. I didn't transition until I was in my my mid-20s. So just I was a girl and then like a young woman in the world. So there's a lot of things in which I think I understand differently. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I can empathize a lot of times with women's experiences in the world. Of course of things, you can. And then it also informs me of how I show up. I was done wrong as a woman in the world. And I say, you know, I'm never going to be that dude. Mm. Now I'm going to make sure that any, any space that I'm in with women, that they feel that they can be safe around me, mm-hmm. that they can say no that they could be their whole selves. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? I think for me, I feel like that's an obligation of a binary masculine person in the world is to create more space that is safe for people who aren't like us. Mm. And I take Your that very, I take to that the very universe's <laughs> ears right now. It's heat, Milan, come on. Yeah. Yes. So that's, that's my thing. That's my thing. So I think about that and I, and I learn about it and I just try to preach about it mm-hmm. to anybody that'll listen. Like that's, that's what it is for me to be a man in the world. For me to be a man in the world means... How can I be a man for the people who may not have as much privilege, as much autonomy as me? Mm. So how can I be a man for the women and the girls in my life, mm-hmm. for the feminine people, for the non-binary people? Because mm-hmm. there's a lot mm-hmm. of ways in which, I mean, yeah, I'm black, true. And there's that. Like yes. I have to do, But I am still a man. Mm-hmm. There is still some safety in the fact that people assume that I'm cisgender. Right. They do. Yeah. You know, no one knows that I'm trans if I, unless I don't tell them. This is why I'm so excited to have you for this particular episode this interview because 
we go hard into gender in this interview. Yeah. And, and just to give you all some background of the guests that are coming in for the interview, Jen Marlowe and Gail Marlene Schwartz, they're two queer moms and friends. And they're co-editing a collection of stories and interviews about queer moms raising sons without fathers. And this conversation goes really deep into what it means to be a feminist, what it means to be queer as a mom, and how to nurture healthy masculinity mm -hmm. in our children. Yeah. And when they reached out to me and said they wanted to talk, I was like, hell yes, because everybody who listens to this show knows that I had some deep-rooted like fear and worry when I found out that I was giving birth to a boy. Yeah. What was that fear though? What was your, what made you scared? I, I don't know. I think that, I don't know. Like hmm. I know that there's a lot of unpacking that I need to do. Yeah, and we talk uh, about it a little bit in the interview, but like, I think at first I always just wanted, I, I'm such a girl. Like yeah. I'm so, I'm such a girly girl, always mm -hmm. have been. And mm -hmm. I always just wanted to raise little baby girls, which is so fucked up. Especially when we have these conversations in the queer space about yeah. gender and being inclusive mm -hmm. and getting out of the binary. And then here I am getting pregnant with a son and being like, what the fuck? Absolutely not. I'm not giving birth to a boy. Right. 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 And so I just wanted to get your take on gender mm -hmm. because you have you've experienced so many sides of the coin with gender. Yeah, for sure. And you've done a lot of thinking on masculinity mm -hmm. and all that stuff. So that's why I was so excited to have you here yeah. to help me unpack what's wrong with me. <laughs> Yo, but I'm glad you know, I'm glad you brought that. And I don't think there's anything wrong, but I think I think it's good that we can recognize it and say, you know what, maybe, maybe I need to unpack. And I think that's important. Mm -hmm. Maybe I do need to unpack this. Like what type of like unconscious biases are working in my body for me to have this reaction. Right. Like, what am I learning about gender? What am I learning about myself? Because I kind of, I felt the same way. I have a daughter. My daughter's five years old. Mm -hmm. um, and when my ex-wife was pregnant, I did not want a boy. Mm -hmm. I was like, nope, we are having what a little girl. Right. So my, my situation is complicated. <laughs> so let me just say, number one, my ex-wife's relationship with the donor was complicated and inappropriate in all kinds of ways. Mm -hmm. And I was afraid that he was going to he was going to be around a little bit too much or that he was going to basically like renege on his part of his, his obligation here to, agreement. to leave, mm -hmm. <laughs> to right. not be around. So there was that. <laughs> and I was worried that as a trans man, was my son going to reject me as mm. a man? Um, I was really worried about that. And then thirdly, that leads me to thinking about like, I was, I was worried that the messages that young boys get about who they are in the world are so strong and mm. they get it from every place consciously and unconsciously. Am I equipped to, to counter that? Because mm. I think a lot of the things that young boys, um, these messages that they get about themselves are bad. I think masculine culture itself can be really, really toxic. Like, what do you mean? Like, what's an example of some of these messages? Little things like um, boys aren't supposed to wear pink. Boys aren't supposed to cry. Boys are supposed to be super tough and rough and they can't be any other way or that, you know, some kind of way invalidates their masculinity. You know, so how, if I had a son, how can I counter that? How can I balance all of the lessons he learns outside? Because it's in the soup of the air that yep. we breathe. Like, no, like right. that's what I'm grappling with right now. That's how I feel with my son. Like, no matter what, we're doing at home. Other stuff is seeping into his psyche. Mm -hmm. And p boys don't wear pink, according to him. He won't even read the book that I bought him that says mm. boys wear pink. And I'm he, like, where does that come from? It comes exactly. from somewhere because it's not coming from in this household. No, no, it's not. So how do we, and this is this this conversation is going to go really deep, more, yeah. more in depth into this question, but how do we nurture 
healthy masculinity when we don't even have a father figure in mm. the room. Yeah. Right? I don't think we got an answer. I don't think we got to an answer in this interview, but we explored the question. Yeah, yeah. And and that's what their book is trying to do, explore this question mm-hmm. in regards to queer moms. And I think that's a good question. You know, I'll tell you, when I came out, when I came out to my dad, he said, you know, he said, my job as your father is not to teach you who you are, it's to teach you how to be in this world. You're mm-hmm. going to tell me who you are. So I think when it comes to just raising people, our kids are going to say, this is the person that I am. And then we're going to say, okay, I see what person you are. How can I make you the healthiest version of yourself? You know, what does that look like? What am I supposed to do every single day to make sure you're the healthiest version of the little person that you are telling me that you are? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to try to make you any different. If you want to be rough and tell me you want to do that, okay, let's be that. But you know what? You're going to be nice and you're going to be trustworthy and you're going to be honest mm. and you're going to be gentle and you're not going to be a fucking asshole in this world. You're not going to be a fucking asshole. You're not going to be an asshole. Unibomber. Yeah, you're not going to be an asshole <laughs> unibomber. Not on my watch. <laughs> I'm raising a little okay. white boy, so I'm like, <laughs> okay. you are not, he is not playing gun games. No. We are not mm. raising the next unibomber. That's it's right. not happening. That's right. But I'm scared. Yeah. It's scary. It's yeah. scary. I think, but I think just being a parent, in general, it's just really scary. But there's that other, that's that extra layer of anxiety when it comes to thinking about gender, particularly for queer parent, parents and LGBT parents, because that's something that that we like confront and think about intentionally, where cis folks and particularly like cisgender heterosexual people don't, don't have to. They don't, don't have to. It's not even on their radar. They don't. And then no, another thing, another and they thing, fall right into and those they fall right roles. into these these roles, these little tiny roles. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you another thing, and I'm just going to be really honest. Mm-hmm. I definitely have a bias against cisgender heterosexual men. Mm-hmm. I think I do too. And I think that's part of the, part of the fear I had when I was pregnant with one. Yep, exactly. Because <laughs> exactly, I was thinking if I had a son, I was like, God, please mm. make him queer. Please, God, make sure my baby, if I have a son, I want him to be gay. He's got a better chance for, for just like overall, just emotional well-being. Yeah, just, he'll be such a better person. I would love it. Love it, love it, love it, love it. I, I said, know. you know, I always said the only way I wanted a son is if I had a trans son. Mm. But that's my own biases right. that I have to really check. We have and to that's hard. Them. And that's, here's, here it is, the intentionality. Mm-hmm. The intentionality we talk about all the time on this show, the intentionality that queer folks bring to their parenting, to their families, right. to their relationships. We have to put so much thought into this stuff. We do. From the get-go. From the jump. And that's why I think we make such good parents because like with the cishet folks, they just get pregnant. They, mm. It's just a mistake. Most of them. Mo- right? mo- yeah. Most of them. Most yeah. of them. I know I, I was not planned. So many of us <laughs> just like, oh, here we are. I was not. So we're intentional from when that baby's just a thought. We bring that baby into this world from from the thought, from the mind, out into the world. Yes. You know, so it's important that we have these conversations and that we think about these things. And I, and I always say this. I think that queer people, I think that we are a blueprint to a better future. I agree. We and are. You just had a beautiful segue yeah, because yeah. another topic that comes up here, and we're talking about the intentionality that we bring to our families even before the babies come, is Gail, one of the um, co-authors of this book, mm-hmm. talk, was talking about her family building journey. And it takes a... Very, an unexpected turn that I wasn't expecting. That Mm. was this really amazing and beautiful story about how her family came to be. I don't want to give too much away. Mm. That story was, I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for that part of the story, but it was, it was really good and it was so intentional and there was so much thought Mm. and it was such a, yeah, there was just so much care and thought that was put into how they did their family. out of the box, right? And so out of the box. So out of the box. Their particular um, situation, they turned it into this wonderful, beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. I I absolutely fucking adore you, Teak Milan. And 
I can't wait to have you back. And now that I know you can come to my house and have beers with me while we do this. You're going to pay for my parking? I am going to pay for your parking. It's the least I can do. (laughs) Because the parking in this side of town is expensive. It is not cheap. It is not not cheap. cheap, But Mm -mm. I am so happy you're here. Me too. This is great. You're coming back as long as your schedule allows. and um, Every time. We got to tell Helen and Beulah, who are totally in the room with us, right, Teak? Yes. Helen and Beulah, can you roll the tape, please? Thank you. <laughs> love is, love is, love is, love. Wait, Helen, stop. Before you roll that tape, I need to mention one thing. I have to mention Patreon. If you all like this show and you want to keep hearing these super important LGBTQIA plus family stories, you can help. You can join my Patreon community. I've got various tiers on the page starting at just two bucks a month. You're going to do a good thing and you're going to get bonus content like videos of most episodes dropped a day early. Crazy behind the scenes shenanigans of yours truly trying to get it together. (laughs) And anything else I can think of to keep you all entertained and engaged. You're just going to head to patreon.com slash the queer family podcast to join. And a huge, 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 huge thank you to all you Patreons who are already supporting this show. It means the world to me. I couldn't do it without you. Thank you so much. Okay. All right. Helen and Beulah, please roll that tape. The Queer Family Podcast. Hi, Jen and Gail. Hi, Jamie. Hi, Jamie. It is so wonderful to have you two here. I am really excited for this conversation because I think you have some expertise in in an area that I need help in. (laughs) To be, to be quite honest, and we're going to get into that, and the listeners are going to hear what exactly that is. But before I butcher who you are and what you're bringing to this interview, why don't you all give me your 30-second elevator pitch of who you are and why you're here? Are we ready? Do we know who's doing it? Are you doing it together? I th- it- <laughs> Am I doing it, Gail? We rehearsed this for, you know, hours. Go ahead. I'm sure you did. I can hours tell. Hours and hours. <laughs> Jen, can, Jen, you want to start and then I can pick up? Sure. I love this. I love this. Okay, here we go. On your mark. Get set. Go. Hi, I'm Jen Marlowe. I am a queer mom of a seven-year-old boy who I raise with my wife, and we live in Albany, New York. And I am co-editing a collection called Boys Will Be Human, Queer Moms Nurturing Sons for a Better World, which is a collection of stories and interviews about queer moms parenting sons without fathers and thinking through the ways in which um, these these families offer us a kind of interesting moment to look at feminist parenting. And I'm co-editing it it with Gail. Go ahead, Gail. Take it away. Take it away. I told you I'm not cutting. I will never cut you all off. And this is beautiful so far. So take it. Take it from here. Yeah, as a type A person. I only half believe that. I'm Gail Marlene Schwartz, also a queer mom of a 12-year-old, beautiful 12-year-old boy. Um, I have a very queer family. I have um, my best friend who is my co-parent and my partner who's non-binary. And um, we are figuring out what to do with this male who is coming into his own beautiful child. Um, And I'm really happy to be working on this collection with Jen because um, we're living our questions about what it means to be feminist, what it means to be queer as a mom and how to nurture healthy masculinity. Oh oh my God. I love this. I love it. You went way over, but I'm okay with that. (laughs) Of course. 
<laughs> because you know what? Actually, there's a lot to unpack in this, right? There's a lot to unpack. And I, for one, as a mother of a boy um, who, who happens to be a very boy boy um, of his own accord, he decided recently he's just going to not wear his shirt in the house. He's five. <laughs> it's like, wow, okay, this is, this is where we're going. And he only likes blue, you know, so he's very on the gender binary and not because I'm doing anything to make that happen. At least I don't think I am. So I'm really excited for this conversation and I can't wait to get into that. But before we do, I do, since this is the Queer Family Podcast, we need to kind of unpack your personal journeys to queer parenthood. I would love to hear your stories and I will let the two of you decide who wants to go first, or if you want to just interrupt each other. I call, like, that, I call that Jewish jazz. Yeah. Oh my God, that's amazing. I love that. Okay. Well, here comes the Jewish jazz. <laughs> okay. So basically, I was um, one of those people who never wanted to have kids, mm-hmm. no interest in kids. Kids tended to cry. Like if I tried to do the typical, like things that people do when they see kids, like, hi, how are you? They'd start crying or they'd run away or (laughs) it just was not my thing (laughs) until I was 37 years old. Mm -hmm. And two things happened. One was my ex-girlfriend who we were, she and her wife were very close with them. They had a baby. Mm -hmm. And when they had the baby, I went to the hospital. When I held the baby, something happened inside really? my body and my brain. Huh. Like something. Interesting. Because, wait, because you were really, really die hard. I'm not, I'm not doing this. I'm going to be child free. I'm happy this way. Yeah. Interesting. And huh. I just didn't even really like kids or babies. <laughs> But then I found out like I did like this particular baby. Like we would go visit the baby over their house and, you know, hang out with them still. And there was a baby there and I did, I liked him. I thought he was, I kind of got like that people think babies are cute and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And then a few months later, my brother and his wife had a baby and I went to visit the baby and was the same kind of feeling Mm -hmm. of like something weird is going on here. And now I think I want a baby. I love this. So when people now tell me like, oh, I don't know if I want kids. I'm like, well, you say that now, but you never know. So. Right. I have a friend. I have a friend who doesn't want kids and gets really annoyed that everybody is always like, yeah, we'll wait until you're older. She gets really annoyed at that. I know. It's probably an annoying. It's annoying when older people tell you those things, right? I know. I know. And like, it's also annoying when you're you're pregnant and all the parents are like, watch out. Your life's going to change. Like, I hated everybody who told me that. And I knew right. it was true, but I was also like, Shh, stop talking to me. Yeah. And now here I am telling so many pregnant people, your life's about to change and watch out. Like, it's like what I do. Anyway, sorry. I, I interrupt a lot. My bad. Keep That's going. Keep fine. going. It's fine. Jewish jazz. Jewish jazz. Jewish jazz. <laughs> I wasn't like 100% sure that I wanted a baby, but I thought I would like at least to try having a baby. And so we did. We tried. We did IUI. For a year. Uh, um, with who With who carrying? Uh, we have a known donor. Sorry, a known donor and I carried. Oh, wow. So you went from nothing at all to, okay, I'm going to want to have one. And also, I just, I'll be the one to carry. <laughs> yes. That's a big jump. That's a leap. Yeah. Well, my wife is seven years older. Uh-huh. And yeah. 
not, yeah, she was not someone who was going to be interested in carrying a baby. So it was kind of me by default. Uh-huh. Um, okay. Basically, at ex- almost exactly a year, we got pregnant and we had a baby. Okay. So now let's, uh, let's move it on over. Gail, tell us your story, your journey. Yeah, it's really different. I was one of these kids (laughs) that wanted to have children the second I popped out. I Mm -hmm. loved kids. I'd worked with kids. I taught kids. I was a camp counselor, a babysitter. I mean, (laughs) any sort of interaction. And I was also, as a young adult, I was one of the, the adults that would sort of adopt these kids who, you know, wanted an aunt. And have them <laughs> sleep over and take them camping and take them to amusement park. You know, I was sort of that adult in several young people's lives, including my half siblings. So I had a lot of experience kind of mentoring kids and and being close to them. Um, I've also had a lot of mental health issues throughout the year. Mm-hmm. So I knew that um for me to become a parent, I really needed to be in a in a couple to do that in a way that I felt was safe and um and just had the best chance of turning around some of that generational trauma. Mm. So um so yeah, part of it was uh the first partner and I'm bisexual. The first partner I was with um was a man and he was a playwright did not want children and that was mm. fine. My second long-term relationship was with a woman and I was older. I was 39 when we got together. So it was a big question whether it would happen. And she, she's also now my best friend. Um, we're separated, but very, very close. Um, so queer. She wasn't. So she queer. was more. Yeah, she wasn't. She was more like Jen, like not something she wanted to do, but she was a little bit open to it. And there was, I remember, there was a moment in our relationship, and I said, "It's a deal breaker for me. Like, I can't move forward. Like at this point, I need to try. I don't necessarily want to start trying when I'm fifty. So if we're right. going to be together." That's just something that I I really want to pursue. So she kind of came around. Oh, okay. Okay. And actually, my first priority in terms of a way was adoption. I really Hmm. wanted to adopt. And I had a really strong feeling as an activist that our family could do a lot more good to a child who is around um, than to bring another soul into the world. Mm Mm-hmm. So I started looking at the adoption forms and all. I knew it was a long process and that it was difficult. And I started reading through the the paperwork online for Quebec, which is where we were. And there was a very explicit requirement that any applicant not have any mental health history, or oh, else they really? would be reject. They would be rejected outright. So it was not an option. Wow! I was devastated. I was really, really devastated. I can't um, imagine. And but how can they like if you were to just say I have no history of mental health, would they I mean I don't know. I, it's a really good question. I just I, I'm kind of a good girl, so I just I mean too. Same same. Like, I'm such a rule I follower. Been, yeah, yeah. Like I would have been so terrified <laughs> that they would have found out like, you know. <laughs> same. So um it was off the table. So that was really astonishing and shocking. And anyway, so you know, fast forward a few months, I sat down with Lucy and we had a conversation. I said, I think we should try to get pregnant. And so we just sort of did. And given our ages at the time, the fertility clinic that we went to said, you should probably go straight to IVF. And we said, let's do one round of IUI. Mm -hmm. I didn't get pregnant. And then Mm -hmm. we went to IVF. And I remember we were 
we're sitting with the psychologist because, you know, you have to have that one appointment. And I remember saying, you know, I, I'm not optimistic. It's, I think the percentage for my age was like 13%. And she, Mm -hmm. and she said, you know, the statistics don't matter. You're going to get pregnant or you're not going to get pregnant. Hmm. And that's the way it is. And, uh, you know, latching onto likelihood is it's mind games. So, right, you know. totally. It's and we're it's worrying, and worrying is like asking for what you don't want, right? So exactly, yeah. I like that you're either going to get pregnant or you're not. Yeah, it <laughs> was very straightforward. Simplifies it. So I had really I had low expectations, um, and I got pregnant that time, and we had decided wow. we were only going to do it once. And I went for my first ultrasound appointment, and because um, you know my blood, the whatever the test was, it was very clear I was pregnant, and they were mm-hmm. they were looking for a heartbeat. They're like, oh, here's a heartbeat, and like. Oh, there's a second heartbeat. Uh, oh, whoa. wait, maybe what? there's a third. And they're looking around. And then at this point, I see Lucy's face. She's very funny. She's a storyteller. She's hilarious. And she just looks like she's she looks like she's about to punch somebody. She just she has this really like <laughs> rageful look at it. And I'm, what's going on? And the, and then the nurse like, oh no, there's just two. Just two. So that's it all. was twins. It was twins. Oh my god. And I and we got home and she said, if she had said there was a third, I would have punched her. <laughs> I said, Why? She said, we can't be having triplets. That's just not okay. Oh, my God. We were pregnant with twins. So ha- did, had they put multiple um, embryos in? They had, yes. They had put five. That was actually right before right. they stopped that as a practice. That actually was, I think that was in like 2013 or 14 where they switched the best practices. And then what happened later was uh, we actually found out that because they were fraternal twins and the second twin actually had Down syndrome. Oh. So we were faced with a very difficult, I actually wrote an essay about this, which was actually one third place in a contest. But um, but yeah, it was it was really intense. It was really intense. And, and there was a lot of pressure, you know, Quebec and Canada, it's a socialized med- medical system. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a lot of pressure to have a partial abortion on that twin. There was a whole uh, like genetic counseling series that we were supposed to do. Wow. And I understood what was going on. And I, I'm just I'm kind of allergic to any <laughs> sense that someone's trying to control me. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, I don't want to do the counseling. And they they called us. I think they called us like six or seven days in a row, leaving messages. You need to do the counseling. You need to do the counseling. And it was just, it was enraging. Um, the OBGYN was saying we should should do that. It's, you know, it's not fair. And I, I just really wanted, and we really wanted to do our own research to see, A, what was the likelihood that that baby could have a happy life, not necessarily with us, but, you know, we had to think about that. And then also what would be the danger to the other fetus, you know, and, you know, we ended up doing research and we found out that because Down's babies are almost never born now, because it's like 95% of women who get that diagnosis have abortions. The families that feel called to do special needs parenting, the, the, the woman who was our social worker, or she wasn't our social worker, anyway, she was in charge of special needs adoption. She said, I could have 10 families lined up outside your door tomorrow who would love to take care of this baby if you decide to have it. Wow. And that was wow. news. I just didn't know that. 
this is all new to me. And then we had a we had a long process. We we really thought about whether it was realistic and um and for me, you know, I think with my history and I, I have a lot of bullying in my past and um I, I felt a lot of shame in myself that I work on really hard and I just knew that that was going to come up in my parenting if I parented this child. And I didn't want to mm. feel that way, but that was that was just part of the mixture that's in myself. And mm-hmm. and the other piece of it, and, and Lucy didn't have that. She didn't have that feeling. But, um, but we were also older. Right. And we understood that that's a person that probably would require care for the rest of his life. And what we didn't want was to have that person end up being taken care of by the state or by, you know, mm-hmm. or necessarily have it be placed on Alexi's shoulders. Mm, um, right. So, you know, we, we, we put a lot of thought into it, but we also realized, you know, we didn't want to have an abortion and, and I'm very pro-choice. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not even anti-abortion. I think there's really good reasons to do it. It just wasn't the right thing for us at that time. Mm-hmm. And then Catherine, who was our, the person who was, um, Working with the families, she found this lovely family, this uh, young couple in their 20s who had a Down syndrome baby. You know, it's just it's so rare when people are younger and they had this little girl and they wanted someone for that little girl to grow up with. And so oh, they wow. adopted him. And then they, oh, they went God. on to have several more children. So like it was and then like fast forward a bunch of years, that child, Alexi's brother, is an actor Oh. And he's he's an actor and a model. He's appeared in uh, oh my God. like Billboard commercials and United Way commercials. And he's been in a video, a music video. And he's super talented. And he's not very verbal. I mean, I don't know the family. Like they originally said they wanted to stay in touch and then they changed their minds. But um, oh. Lucy's been stalking them on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> so we we like we sort of follow along and we, and he looks a lot they both boys they're very um they're very charming they have lots of personality they're like you see it you can see it in both of them um my oh, son is wow. also very he's a real performer and that that's a that's something that I did I did acting for a while so mm-hmm. it's just it's just amazing to see that genetic component um but I think it was a really really good decision Alexi ended up um you know, he has ADD and he's got something called apraxia, maybe autism spectrum. You know, he's got some stuff. But like the the truth of the matter is if we had had both kids, Alexi would not have gotten what he needed from us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I just think it ended up being a really good decision. Wow, what a story. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And I, I wonder if that's something that not not as many people are open about because it's, the, you know, there's people place all kinds of judgment on all kinds of things, right? Yeah. And that's an easy place to place judgment. And there should mm-hmm. be no judgment. You have to make the decision that's right for you. And look how everything turned out. Look how yeah. everything turned out. Oh well, God. and it was interesting because we felt we felt judgment on sort of both ends of it. We felt mm-hmm. judgment for not having the abortion. And then we felt judgment for the adoption. And there was a couple things that were really affirming. Like we had this wonderful technician and it was later on in the pregnancy. And, you know, sometimes the technicians would say, you know, have you given them names yet? And, you know, they don't necessarily know what's going on. And Mm -hmm. so this one technician asked, and I said, well, I tend to be a little bit more blunt than Lucy. She's a little more polite than me. I said, well, one of the babies is going home with an adoptive family. And she didn't miss a beat. She said, oh. 
And then we we continued talking, and that that happened to be a really long ultrasound. The baby wasn't cooperating in terms of position, <laughs> and it turned out that this woman, who was the technician, she was and she was saying, you know, it's really important that people do what is right for them, and it's so individual. And it turned out that she had four boys with autism, so oh, wow. she was a special needs mom herself, and she was the most affirming person. That huh. we had met on our journey, and that was actually the moment that Lucy said she was actually able to really rest and feel peaceful when we had that conversation. And that woman was just very like that. Sounds like every, it's a great happy ending. Everyone's getting you know their needs met, and it's going to work out. And it mm. was this woman who was a special needs mom herself. So, well, that's amazing, man. It must have been such a so difficult, so difficult. I can only imagine. Um, but wow, holy shit, damn. But it did work out, yeah. Yeah, and he's 12 now? He's 12, they're 12, yeah. They're 12, and does, (laughs) does, and Alexi knows of him. He, he knows, I mean, he's really funny, because like, we also have, I don't know if you guys are part of your, um, do you Mm -hmm. have a sibling group on Facebook? I do. Yeah, yeah, so, so I'm super into it, I'm like, oh my god, this one looks like him, and this one looks like that one, and reunions, and books, and He's just not, he's not really into it. Like hmm. he just doesn't, he doesn't really care for him. He's like, what matters is what's in the present, his family, his friends. Um, we did meet up with one of his half brothers at an amusement park, but what was exciting about that for him was the fact that the kid was really funny and we were at an amusement park, not the fact right. that it was his brother. Right. Biological family doesn't have a lot of meaning for him. Mm-hmm. At least not not right now. Right, they they are their unique individual selves, and my daughter's not interested because none of them are girls. So, <laughs> but there's only three. I like really there's funny. only three others besides my kids that we've found. And she at first was like, "Yes, I want to, I want to meet." Yes, and then she's like, "Wait a second, these are boys. I, I don't <laughs> care." Like I'm like, "Okay." So that's where we're at with that. Um, it's there if she wants it, but she wants a sister. She already has a brother, and she and she, and he drives her crazy. So um, why would she want more? <laughs> right, don't want more. <laughs> the queer family podcast. All right, folks, it's still the new year, and as we know, we all start the new year ready to make big changes in our lives. Am I right? And it can be tough to keep that momentum going. I 100% am not getting up earlier to get work done before the kids get up like I promised I would in the beginning of the year. Well, let's be real. It was less of a promise and more of a, that would be cool if I did it type thing. So I'm not like failing miserably. But if you have resolutions and namely, if one of those resolutions is to reduce your credit card debt, I can help. One way to get ahead is by consolidating your debt and paying a low fixed rate loan instead. And Lightstream makes the process super simple. A credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream can help you pay off your credit cards and lock in a low fixed interest rate. Rates start at 7.99% APR with auto pay and excellent credit. Plus, the rate is fixed, so it will never go up over the life of the loan, and you can get a loan from $5,000 to $100,000, and there are absolutely no fees, which is great. And just for the Queer Fam Squad listeners, you can apply now to get a special interest rate discount and save even more. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash OCT. 
That's L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash O-C-T. Disclaimer, subject to credit approval, rates range from 7.99% APR to 23.99% APR and include a 0.5% auto pay discount. Lowest rate requires excellent credit. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash OCT for more information. Love is, love is, love is, love. I think this is a great way to segue into your book and what you're doing and, and the work you're doing because I'm dying to talk about this. I'm hoping you can give me guidance. Oh, gosh. (laughs) (laughs) So the book is, at least for now, titled Boys Will Be Humans, Queer Moms Nurturing Sons for a Better World. Justin Baldoni just actually published a book called Boys Will Be Humans. So I'm not sure how that's going to go. But um, so we may have a title change in, in the future, but we named it that. So once I started to notice this whole new world, which again, previously had been of no interest to me, I started to notice that a lot of the lesbian friends around us had boys Mm -hmm. and we didn't know what we were, what we were going to have, but I started just becoming very interested in this very women centered world that we lived in. Mm -hmm. And it just seemed to me that it offered this kind of unique space for these boys that could kind of work as an antidote to some of the toxic masculinity that we too frequently see. I wanted to then work with someone on this and I started thinking about Gail and it kind of morphed from there into how about we do an edited collection and maybe do a podcast someday. Then I also ended up having a boy, obviously. So of course this this question and these ideas became even more important and more interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And this is mm-hmm. now all happening to you against the backdrop of, you know, Trump running for president and the Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. And I became like, how do I not raise one of these people that mm-hmm. we're seeing? So I contacted Gail and she was on board as another mom raising a son. And we began the work of gathering these stories of of queer moms raising sons. So, Another piece of my story is my own reaction when I found out there were both boys and I, I cried. Same. This, is, this was going to be my question. What were your reactions? Because I had a really shocking to myself and visceral reaction when I found out that I was carrying a boy inside me. And I freaked out. I got scared. I never, ever, ever. And this sounds, this sounds terrible. It sounds awful. And this does not take away the, from the fact I love my son with all my heart. My son is awesome. He's amazing. But when I found out I was having a boy, I freaked out. I never thought I was going to have a boy. I always thought I was going to have two girls. A psychic told me that once. And I stuck, I held fast to that idea and a dog, right? And I was holding on real tight to that one. But when I found out, I, I lost it for, I like mourned for longer than I should have. I was really upset. And even to the point where I was giving birth and like, I don't know if I'm going to connect. I don't know. I don't know. I really freaked out. I was scared. Mm-hmm. And I haven't really unpacked that as much as I probably should have mm-hmm. <laughs> and still should. Um, but so that was going to be my question. How did the two of you feel when you realize it's a boy and this is what this means. And there's a lot that goes into it. That's why you're putting a whole book together about it. 
Yeah. I mean, I was like you. I, I yeah. assumed I would have a daughter. It's silly to, you know, you have a 50% chance. And yet. And yet. And then also, what does gender matter anyway? It shouldn't. It doesn't. When we live in this queer world where gender is a spectrum and we all know this and we are accepting of all genders, right? And all sexualities. Mm. And then here I am. Fuck, it's boy. What am I going to do? <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, it's I mean, weird. I think the, the the thing that's interesting is I think it brings us in closer relationship to our mm. relationship with gender, you know, how, mm -hmm. what it means to us and what masculinity means to us and the difficulties and struggles with masculinity, you know, in all of its different forms. Um, I also wrote an essay because I, I was thinking about that throughout my son's toddler years, you know, before Jen got pregnant about how can I, you know, we want to raise this child in a feminist upbringing, you know, we want him mm -hmm. to have certain values. And, you know, he, he was exposed to everything. He was interested in the girl stuff and he mm -hmm. did the girl stuff and he was, but let me tell you what really got his attention was bulldozers and yep. tractors and machines. And it, it's, Oh. So what have you learned? What are your what are your takeaways with these essays and the things that people have written? First of all, I just want to point out the the fact that both, you know, your experience and Gail's experience of having those strong visceral reactions and this kind of fear, we've we've gotten other stories like that submitted. Um so that's a very a seemingly pretty common feeling amongst at least amongst queer women. Mhm. Mm I think we also have struggled or kind of wrangled with the whole idea that, of course, we we know gender, all of these things you're saying that gender is fluid. It's the spectrum. Mm -hmm. um, and yet there are these boys who exist in our lives who seem to. I don't even want to say that they identify at this point because right, some of right. them do, but some of them aren't even old enough to like know what that means. But their, their identity is so firmly grounded in, again, these kind of stereotypical ideas of, of like, you know, boy, like the whole hashtag like boy mom makes me cringe. <laughs> I don't think I've followed that one. I don't want to ever follow that one, I think. Oh, yeah. It's so <laughs> problematic. And yet when I read the memes or the posts or whatever, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's my life, too. Like, it's right. just like all farting and roughhousing <laughs> and like food going out the door, like just. And I'm like, yeah, and I can really relate to these. And yeah, I'm like, oh, that's so. <laughs> That's so problematic in so many ways. And so how do we kind of work against those, those cultural norms and expectations mm -hmm. while we simultaneously have this, you know, the, the boys who are still gravitating towards, towards the trucks. I think, you know, a lot of the stories that we've collected so far are, are based on having these conversations with our kids. I think one concrete example that we write about in the introduction is um, is books. Um, so both in terms of like curating your collection of children's books to be 
inclusive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, making sure your your boys have access to girl superhero books and mm-hmm. all of those. I mean, luckily we live in a time where these things actually are starting to exist That's true. on the market. Um, and so taking advantage of that to curate your your um children's book collection while you still have those of us who still have kids that were, were young enough to do that in such a way that they're being exposed like. Levi and I read, you know, all of the Ramona Quimby books together or a lot of female protagonists are the books that I read to him. Um, But also a conversation I had with one of the families that's in the collection is about that a lot of the children's books that have um, animals or um, trucks or cars or various toys as characters they default to he, the he pronoun, yeah. mm-hmm. and I, as much as I am aware of gender and gender issues and have studied them <laughs> all of my adult life, I frequently find myself defaulting to he as well mm-hmm. when something is of unknown gender status. But I was talking to some moms who purposefully change the out the he and mm-hmm. use she instead. I've done that. I've done that a bit. Yeah. So I think some of these things that we can do while we still have that kind of input in our child's lives. Um, mm-hmm. Before they can read and say, that's not what that says, mom. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, right. Mm-hmm. You read that, huh? <laughs> but then that's the moment where, you, where it opens up the conversation. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. once they start to be able to read and, and say, well, you just read that, you know, with she. Or I know other moms who take out dad like we'll take out the dad i do that from the book i do that and then eventually the kid is like there's a dad in this book but then you can open up this conversation with them about why you made these particular choices Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um in order to kind of put pressure on um the ways in which these things the the default he and the default dad are treated Mm -hmm. as kind of common sense or naturalized in some way and also because i want you to be able to see yourself mirrored in this book and so that I made this character have two moms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, but like on the book note, like we bought for my, my son, we bought Pink is for Boys. Have you seen? It's a picture book. Yeah, so I haven't read it, but something it looks Pink really is for fun. Boys or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't been able to read it because the kid won't let me read it to him because Pink is not for boys, mom. No, it's not. It's so there's that also, but it's still on the shelf. And even my daughter will get involved like, come on, Orion, just read it. This is such a good book. It's so, and pink is for boy, you know? And he's like, no, it's not. No, it's not. Boys don't wear pink. And so we're, we're chiseling away. But I also wanted to ask about, because for a lot of us, two uh, mom families or two folks who identify as female, who are parents, there is the dad thing. And it especially comes up when there's a son involved, right? This little boy is growing up without a father influence. And I didn't think it would ever matter to me. And it doesn't. It doesn't mean anything to me. But I find myself worrying about it and seeing how he's drawn to men or folks who identify as male. He is drawn to them. He will run into their arms. He won't run into anybody's arm. But if it's a man, that it's like this weird thing. He has this attraction and it's like he wants to be around more male energy and that's hard to see and that's hard to reckon with right and so 
I want to talk about the dad thing. And my daughter doesn't seem, it doesn't matter to her. She's, and she's older and she, it's to a point where it's just doesn't seem like that's going to be an issue, but I'm worried that that might be an issue for my son. Um, and we just watched, have you watched the movie that it's a brand new movie, new world or something where they go in basically strange world and they, and they're in a body and, and it's very, and it's a dad there first there's the grandpa and he's really like outdoorsy and then there's the son and it's a father-son relationship and then the they split up and then it's another and then it's the young son is now an adult and he has a son and it's all about the father-son thing and I'm watching it in the beginning and I was like oh shit my son is watching it I'm like oh god I don't want him to see this and think and just be sad that he doesn't have a dad and then you know what Disney did you know what they did they made the son the grandson, gay, which was so freaking awesome because I thought, oh, here we go. Here we go with this patriarchal shit and a boy and his dad. And then the boy has a crush on his, this boy. And the dad's like, cool, go talk to him. And he's like a totally like cool with the gay thing. Um, and then it, it changed it for me. I was like, okay, I can handle this. I can handle the dads who are okay with their sons being gay, because then I can say to my kid, yeah, he had a dad, but he was, he might, the kid might grow up and, ha- and be in a two-dad family. How cool is that, you know? So it kind of brought it full circle for me and it felt better for me. But the dad thing comes up. And so that was a long way for me to ask you all about the dad thing. Well, it's, it was interesting because I expected to be seeing that in the essays and I haven't really seen it other than hmm. mine. And I don't know if that's because my son is older the way that it came up for us is in a, in a couple ways, like we, Lucy and I had been separated in terms of being lovers for a bunch of years, but I actually didn't move out until after the pandemic. And that was a year ago, September. And he went through a really, really difficult time. Um, he was homeschooled up until that point. He went to school. I left pandemic. There was a lot of changes and we found a therapist for him and the therapist, um, after she talked to him the first time, th- that was the first thing she said. And the therapist was straight. So, you know, huh. I'm talking to one of my friends and we're just rolling our eyes. We're like, oh, that's always what they say. You know, mm-hmm. they, you know, he's missing a male role model. He can't see himself in the future. He's afraid of growing up. And it's because he doesn't have a man in his life. But um, but she was really good and we gave it some thought. So uh, my friend, uh, Amy and Mark, who live in the States, uh, we asked Mark because he was somebody that Alexi liked if he would get together with Alexi once a week. But then the pandemic happened. So that was just not happening. Right. But um, if you fast forward about six months, uh, that was when I started going out with Aaron. Um, and Aaron identifies as non-binary, but uh, he was assigned male at birth and pre- he presents as male. And so um, that relationship started around that time. Mm. And um, and let me tell you, it's, I, I mean, again, it's, there's a lot of things that have changed. I, I'm a little bit careful about assigning causation to things, but um, it's similar to what you said about your, like, Alexi ran into Aaron's arms. Hmm. There was no jealousy or suspicion. I mean, that's kind of not how he is, but it totally could have been that. And it was almost like, oh my God, like I have this person in my life that I have been needing in some, I mean, he didn't say that of Mm. course, but 
And now, like Alexi's been, he's his whole life he's been into wrestling, but he doesn't want to wrestle with me anymore. He wants to wrestle with Aaron. Mm. And um, I'm hoping Alexi won't be listening to this, but he has his first crush. And oh. he didn't tell me anything, but he told oh. Aaron. Wow. So huh. there's there's things that are happening. Now, it's a very unusual situation that, I mean, I didn't expect to be with someone who everybody in the world sees as a guy. I mean, and, and it's a little different internally. And I think that's actually a very good part of this situation for us. But I think there is something about a connection, a close connection to someone who the person can project they're going to be like when they grow up. I mean, it, it was right. for us. I mean, it was it was a missing piece for me. I didn't see queer women artists when I was growing up. I didn't see people who had the kind of sensitivity. Like, I didn't see anybody that looked like me, really. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's part of what was missing for Alexi. Um, and I don't think that's to say it's true for all kids or all boys. But it's not, him, yeah. There was something and it has shifted and he started talking about what he maybe wants to do when he grows up. And he's not so pained to think about adolescence. And a lot of the stuff that felt very difficult in that conversation with Catherine has eased quite a bit. And mm. again, I don't I'm I'm not gonna say, oh, it's all because Aaron's in his life, but I think it's made a big difference. Hmm. The need to see yourself mirrored back is so important. And that's the reason that I created this podcast because I I wanted to hear more stories like my own. Um, and you know, the reason your your book is going to exist in the world, these these we need to we need to see ourselves mirrored back and our children, it's no different for our children, right? And some children feel very strongly that they are one way or another and they want to see that so they can become that, right? right. So but you never know what child you're going to get. And then you have to work with it to figure out the best way to give them what they need, I guess. And representation really freaking matters a lot. And I don't yeah. think it has to be a parent. I mean, in the same way that right. it doesn't have to be a parent for lots of different things. I mean, and, and, and again, like just because a kid's growing up in a straight family, I mean, there's all kinds of situations where, you know, the father left and there is no father. And, you know, like people have to have to make, I keep telling my college students, you have to make what you can with what you have. And mm-hmm. it's true in any situation. And there's, there's, you know, we can be creative. That's the great thing about being queer. Like we're creative by nature because we have to be. That's why us queers are so well equipped for these kinds of situations because we, we know all about chosen family. Yeah, we're totally. like the, we're like the creators of chosen family. We got that. We That's know how it. to choose that, right? Yeah. Um, it's just sometimes it's scary when it, it has to do with your kids, right? And making yeah. sure you're making the right decisions for your kids based on their individual needs. Right. I mean, and it, so and it, much and it loops back to like, if I'm, if part of my fear about having a boy was I don't want to get men really close to me, which is part mm. of it. Mm-hmm. I have to deal with my stuff. I mean, and that's the magic of having kids. Like we are forced to deal with our stuff because mm-hmm. of them, because of the love that we have for them. If we don't deal with our stuff, they're going to suffer. You know, I think that's true across the board. So Aaron and I deal with sexism in our relationship that has never that never existed between me and Lucy. And mm. and sometimes I don't want to. And he doesn't want to. He doesn't even see himself as a man. Like so it doesn't right. even make sense to him half the time. <sighs> but it's there. And so, yeah. and, and it, and it relates to how Alexi's going to be a man. And, I, you know, there's a, there's a connection 
in my sort of psyche around how do I relate to masculinity? How do I mm. meet it? How do I embrace it? How do I resist it? You know, to get to know those tendencies and then to refine them and and kind of make peace with them and and just learn to I don't know find warmth and love and and easiness um, in ways that I didn't have when I got that news. Mm-hmm. Just goes to show how very intentional our families, queer families are. We're so intentional and we're doing everything we can to to make these little families of ours thrive, right? So we, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Can't wait to see this book. And is there any, like, are you looking for more stories? Are you, is there a call to action for more stories? Any listeners out there? I don't know. We would like more stories. Um, and in particular, um, talking about inclusion and representation, um, in particular, we would love more stories from um, queer moms of color. Mm-hmm. If you are queer and you identify as a mother, we want to hear from you. Queer moms raising boys at gmail.com. Um, you can send submissions our way. Uh, Gail, do you have things you want to add to? Well, just just if there's listeners who don't consider themselves writers, we will we're very willing to do an interview. So you don't necessarily have to be a writer. We can just set aside an hour and chat with you and write it up. So you don't need to worry about that. Oh, that's cool. I hope you get some. Uh, I hope you get some folks to write into you and yeah, share their stories because the more stories, the better, in my opinion. Thank you so much. Thank you both so much for coming and sharing. And this is great. I can't wait to share this episode. Thank you, Jamie. It's been great talking to you. Queer Family Podcast. <sighs> well, folks, I really hope you enjoyed that episode. I know I did. What a good story. But, but. The conversation is not over, folks. Be sure you're following the show on all the socials. We're on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube at the Queer Family Podcast. You're going to get photos of all the guests there, some videos, and just, you know, all around fun from yours truly. Who doesn't want that? Don't miss out. You don't want FOMO. Nobody wants FOMO. And don't forget to join me on Patreon to help me create this super important queer content. You're going to head to patreon.com slash the queer family podcast to sign up and get that bonus content. And one more thing, if you love this show and want to represent your love for us and our beautiful families, you need to head to our shop and get some Queer Family Podcast merchandise. We've got so many designs, and you can put these designs on any product in the store. We've got t-shirts, mugs, hoodies, notebooks, face masks, laptop cases. You're just going to go to tpublic.com and search for the Queer Family Podcast Or you can find the shop on our website at thequeerfamilypodcast.com. There's so many ways. So many ways. All right, folks, that's it for this week. Tune back in next week for another episode all about family, but with gay. (laughs) 